We are going to be talking about the second commandment, which is talking about idolatry. Now, we're going to jump into it in just a minute, but I do want to kind of ask you a question beforehand, because I think this is an important question that we all need to answer, and we all need to know the answer to this question. And the, the, the question is this, why are you here on earth? I want you to be thinking about that. And another way to ask this is, is what is the meaning of life? And I've heard many explanations of this, and many explanations are really confusing and really complicated. Um, but I think it's important to understand because the second commandment has to do kind of why we are here, why, why we're re- we were created. And I know growing up, I, I would hear my dad say this uh, when I was young, and, and it just it grabbed my attention. My dad um, describes him coming into this world as a major oops. Well, here's why. Because my grandmother and his oldest sister, my Aunt Nella, were pregnant at the same time. And my dad is actually younger than his nephew. And so my dad always thought he was this major accident. And I think it's important to understand some of those details. I think a lot of people might not understand why they're here. Or they might even fall into that same group that, like, I don't know why I'm here on earth. Like, they might just kind of think they get lost in the mass of the numbers of humanity. And they just don't think they're important. They don't think they really bring any value to the world. And they just, like, are, they, they're just confused. Like, why am I here? But here's the, the simple answer to that question, because it's not a difficult question to answer. We are here. I am here. You are here. Because God created you, and you are a part of his plan. And a part of his plan is for us to be in a relationship with him. That is the meaning of life right there. That's what the Bible communicates. That God does not, we, we do, here's what, we do make accidents, but God can still work in our accidents. God can still work in our oops. And he can do miraculous things in our oops. But no one here is by accident. I mean, we all have meaning, we all have worth, we all have value, and that's every life. And it breaks my heart that people don't understand that God created them and they are here because they are a part of God's plan. The reason you're here is because God wanted you here and he wanted you here so that he could be in a relationship, that we could be in a relationship with him. And it's important to understand those details as we dig into scripture and we dig into these commandments. Because today's commandment is the second commandment and there's a lot of warning signs within this commandment. And it still applies to us today. But one of the things that is communicated in this second commandment is God does not want us to worship any idols. And so what God is going to do in the second commandment is he is going to express to us how to worship the right God. And we learned that last week, that there is the one true God, the God of the Bible. God is going to communicate to us how to worship the right God in the right way. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 6 here today. And so we're going to kind of read through it, and then we're going to take the rest of our time unpacking this. And so this is what it says. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Then he continues, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love 
to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. Would you please bow and pray with me? God, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the creator and the sustainer of all things, and we thank you for your word. And God, we want to have this desire, Lord, to follow your commands. So God, I pray that your word would speak to our hearts today, speak to our minds. I pray that we would, we would be inspired to really just challenge ourselves with today's message as you give out so many warning signs within these verses, Lord, I pray that we would receive them. I pray that we would challenge ourselves with them, and I pray that we would grow from them. But God, most importantly, I pray that we would pursue you throughout this entire series. Some of these weeks are going to be challenging because you know that we're not perfect people, and we're not going to be perfect in our worship of you, and you knew that 2,000 years ago, and that's why you give us all these instructions today. So help us to learn Help us to understand more about your greatness and who you are. We love you, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we unpack these verses, we're going to look at, at four points. And the first point that we're going to take away from this passage here today is we are all created to worship. You know, since the beginning of time, people have worshiped from the very start, regardless of the place on earth, regardless of the race, regardless of the time period, regardless of what people believe about their religious beliefs, we always have and always will continue to be worshipers. When God created us, he put it in us to worship. Part of our nature, part of our DNA within us is worshiping. If you look at Christians, if you look at Muslims, if you look at Buddhists, if you look at atheists, people who reject God, it does not matter. All people worship. So the question today as we dig into this, it's not a, a matter if, if we are going to worship. The question that we have to ask ourselves is who or what are we going to worship? And I think it's important for us to understand what does worship mean? Because so I think if we had several people answer this, it, it could get a little bit confusing, and, and I think it's important to understand what the Bible says, what worship is. Because I think a lot of people, we say, okay, what is worship? And a lot of people say, well, you know, it's that, that time that we listen to some songs in the service. Like, that's worship, right? And, you know, there's a few people that, you know, raise their hand, and, you know, the little window washing things going on. Like, that's worship, Right? We're very tame here at Alpine. We're very tame. And yes, that is. That is a, a part of worship. But here's what the biblical definition. So again, we can just ask ourselves in, the, in that time of music, are we truly worshiping? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, here's what worship it. It is to bow down to God in this sense of awe, in this sense of reverence, giving him respect and honor. And what God's design in this worship is it's isolated only for him. So part of the reason we are here, that he created us and he, to be in a relationship with him, is to spend time in worship with him. And so that's why it's important to understand why we are here. Like, God did just not create us and say, here you go, good luck, go live out life. That he wants to be next to us, that he wants to be a part of our lives 
And he wants to be at the center of everything that we're doing. And a part of that is worshiping the one true God in the right way. But God knew we were going to struggle with this. He did. He knew we were going to struggle with this. 2,000 years ago, he's writing this message about how the right way to worship is. And he is going to continue to communicate this until the end of the earth because at times we make a mess of this. And so God's design is it's isolated just for God. But here's what happens. We get influenced by many things within our life, within this world. And some of the things, we're going to list out some things that people have always just struggled with worshiping. And when we're done with this, I just want to ask you the same, what are the things that you worship? And sometimes to help identify the things that we're worshiping are the things that consume our thoughts, the things that consume our minds. And I just want to lay that out there so as we look. So something that humanity has struggled with is we worship entertainment, we worship the people in entertainment. That is just something that is in front of us all the time in this world. We also worship sex, that there are people that we are drawn to, and we end up in this sense of we're bowing down to them, we're looking for them to fill this need, we're looking for them, and we start worshiping them. Here's something that I think most of us struggle with that we can relate to, we worship money, power, wealth. Here's one that might sting a little bit, we can actually end up worshiping family, And here's one we're really good at is, and we don't need a whole lot of help in this one, but we can end up worshiping self, ourselves in this. And so what are you bowing down to? What are the things that occupy your mind that as we get into this message that God might just be able to work in this and through this with you? Because so often we don't find ourselves just surrendering worship to, to our Lord Jesus and spending time with him and awe of him, that there are things and people that we start bowing down to. And what happens in that setting is now we are redefining what worship is. God has defined it for us, but humanity is really good about redefining God's commands so that they fit our lifestyles. And that leads us to our second point. God doesn't need any help in defining himself. Here's what God does not like to play in our lives. He does not like to be the supporting actor. He's not good at it. And he doesn't want that for us. He wants to be the main character. So here's understanding that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. That he is the creator of creation, of all of it. And we fall under his authority. But so often, we say, no, God, I want to be the main character in my life. I want you to be the supporting cast. And we're all guilty of this to some extent. But it's important to understand what role God plays in your life. And if you want to know what role does God play in your life, ask yourself these questions. I know there's a lot of questions today. There's a lot of commands in here. So let's, let's, let's do this together. Do you spend more time thinking about you 
or God? What gets most of your attention, focus, and energy? You or God? Whose plan are you following for your, in, for your life right now? Your plan or God's plan? Because God says here, I want to be at the center. I want to consume your thoughts. I want you to surrender to my leading in your life. God is the all-powerful, almighty God. He says, if you want to have a rich and satisfying life, you have to surrender to me in my leading in your life. I will be able to open and close doors for you. It's all about me, and it's all about us surrendering our lives to Jesus. But when we flip this upside down, we say, God, I'm going to lead in my family. I'm going to lead in my career. I'm going to lead in my interest in hobbies And when we find ourselves here, we find ourselves in a dangerous place. Anytime we work outside of God's design, I don't care what it's about, family, marriage, or worship, it is not healthy for us. There is a reason why many of these commandments are one sentence, don't do this. There's a reason that God spends a little bit more time in this second commandment explaining the details about worship because he knew that we were gonna mess this up. He did. He's warning us 2,000 years ago, you guys are gonna fail in, at many times in worshiping in the wrong way. And so let's read through this. Let's allow God's work to, to speak, speak to us this morning. Back to our passage. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. So let's talk about that. It starts off at this time period. It was very popular. Yes, they worshiped sex. Yes, they worshiped power. Yes, they worshiped wealth. But one of the things that they worshiped were they would produce these man-made objects, these idols that were handcrafted by human hands out of either wood or stone. And then they would dress them with precious metals like gold or silver. And so you're just starting to think right now, all right, they're covering this, so they're shiny, they like catch our eyes. Then also at times they would put the finest linens around these idols and dress them up. And they were an eye catcher. And here's what these idols were manufactured for. It's an idol, what it does is it replaces God. And what happens is people were starting to worship to these idols. They were actually bowing down. They were looking to these idols to do divine acts. They were looking to these idols to do what God's role is. And it's a piece of furniture. The only power that these idols have is in the minds of the people who are worshiping it. That's it. You can ask this object to do something, but it's not capable. And we can find ourselves doing the exact same thing. Looking to things, replacing God with whatever or whoever. And God is warning us of this. He says, do not, you must not make for yourself an idol. And I love how he talks about every realm here. He knows who he's working with. It's us. And he goes, Don't make any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. He says, don't make any images about the sun, the moon, and the stars. Don't worship any images in the heavens realm. 
Then he comes to the earth. Don't make any images of anything on here on earth. Animals, people, do not make any false images and worship them. And just so he wouldn't leave Aquaman out, because he knows we would. He knows we would go worship Aquaman. He goes, don't worship anything of any false images in the sea. He knows who he's working with. He's like, I'm going to cover my basis. Humanity needs to hear this. Don't make any false images of any kind. And then I love this. He says, you must not bow down to them or worship them. That God is just being so clear. But here again, worship is isolated for only God. For only God. And he says, there is no one that you should bow down to or worship outside of me. So don't make these images and be sure not to bow down and worship them. And then he reminds us again of who he is. For I, the Lord, your God, I am the uncreated creator of all things. I am God Almighty. And really what Scripture is saying here is when we worship these false idols, what we're doing is we're bringing disrespect and we're dishonoring God. Because worship is isolated only for the one true God, the God of the universe, the God of the Bible. And then I love how this ends. So after he says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He's revealing something here. And I love it because Scripture says when we come to faith, we become children of God. We are his sons and daughters, and we are in God's embrace. He is our father, and he is protecting us, and he fiercely protects us. But here's what happens. We flee out of his embrace, and we flee to these images of what he is talking about these other things or these other peoples, and we jump into that embrace. And God is not okay with that. He says, I am jealous. Think of this, parents. I heard this analogy several years ago. Say, some of you parents have kids that are toddlers. Say your toddlers just fleed. They just ran, and they ran into the arms of another couple, and they said, this is where I want to be. As parents, first you would be jealous, but you know what? You wouldn't tolerate it. Here's another analogy on this same topic. Your marriage. Say you saw your spouse in the arms of someone else. How much would that pierce and break your heart? And when we, when we pursue these other things and we worship these other things, that's what we're doing to God. We break God's heart all the time, that we leave his embrace, his unfailing love, his, his protection over us. And sometimes we flee from it, and we run to these false things, and we worship these things that aren't good for us. And God says, that breaks my heart, and I'm not going to tolerate it. Do not worship any other gods. There's a great picture of this, and it's a very sad story in Scripture and so we're in chapter 20 of Exodus right here. And we're going to go read this story of when we see people fleeing from God's embrace and running to something else. And it's in chapter 32, verses 1 through 4. But I just want to give you the backdrop. So in Exodus, at the beginning, so here's what God is doing. He's going, you know, you are my chosen people, the Israelites, and I am going to free you from the bondage of slavery, from the Egyptian rule. 
And they had been enslaved for hundreds and hundreds of years under the Egyptian authority and Egyptian rule. And God says, I'm going to deliver you from that. And he uses Moses and Aaron. He uses his power and his might, and he sends plagues, and he's just demonstrating who he is. And he frees the Israelites. And even as he's freeing the Israelites, he speaks over his creation. He parts the Red Sea because that's not a big job for God. And he's able to allow his people to be freed and cross and get to safety. He's caring and loving for them by parting the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh's army comes in there and he just engulfs them and wipes out Pharaoh's army. And we just see God at work. And he's leading them through the desert. He's leading them by the clouds in the daytime and by fire at night. And from heaven he produces manna and meat for them to... He is just loving and caring on his chosen people. And he's guiding, and he's leading, and he's providing for them. And so we fast forward to chapter 32. God summons Moses away. And that's where we pick up in the story. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses. Where's the guy with the staff? Where is he? Who brought us here from the land of Egypt? So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, this is what they exclaimed. Look at this. Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Just 12 chapters before, God was warning them, warning them about this very thing. Now I'm gonna stop here. We are the Israelites in this story. This is what we do to God. And that's the challenge for us today. I don't want us to just think that, oh, we're just looking at these Israelites, going, look at how foolish they are. We are that, we are them in this story. But they just experienced these miraculous events, God showing his power, his love, he rescues them, and the minute their leader leaves for just a few minutes, they don't surrender to God's timing, they don't look to, for God's will in this, they say, let's make us some gods who we can worship. And they fall into this trap. And look, they gave this golden calf all the credit for bringing his people out of Egypt. Man, God puts up with a lot, doesn't he? And that's why the second commandment is so important. He's warning us about this. And this is what we end up doing. We are the Israelites in the story. And I got this beautiful handmade box here that I wrapped yesterday. And look, the top comes off. Don't judge my rapping. But so often, just like the Israelites, we put God in a box. We say, you know what, God, I'm not going to yield to your timing. I'm not going to trust in that. So here, come in my box. I'm going to take the reins here. That's what the Israelites did here. We're going to produce some things for us to worship on our own. We do the same thing, and we just don't trust in God's power. And God's healing, my God, I don't know if you're going to be able to heal this situation. And there are some situations that are tough, that challenge us. But what we do is we end up putting God in a box. 
We're not trusting in his power. And here's the one I'm guilty of, and sometimes I don't trust in God's knowledge. And so you know what, I'm gonna trust in my knowledge, God. I'm, I'm gonna take the lead here and I'm gonna put you in my God box. And we all, we all do this to a certain extent. You know, we all read scripture and, and some of the scriptures we don't like and we say, mm, this one doesn't apply to me. And it's very easy for us just to kind of rip those pages out of the Bible, the ones we don't like. You know, what happens when we put God in a box is we are demanding that God fits into our priorities. We have these priorities and we just think like, well, God, we want you to fit into our priorities. And see, that's exactly opposite of how God works. He goes, no, I have my commands, I have my priorities, and I need you to fit into my plan. But when we put God in a box, we find ourselves in a dangerous place because here's what will happen. You will end up serving whatever or whoever you worship, and chances are your kids will too. So when we put God in a box, we're not focused on worshiping him. We find ourselves pursuing and surrendering to other things in this world. And there's two messages that exist. There's God's message in this world that says God is the creator and sustainer of all things. And this is the good one, by the way. And he created us, and we come under his authority. And we say, God, I want you to lead me in my life. I'm going to surrender to your leading and then there's the world's message, and this one's dangerous. This one says, follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Don't allow anyone to tell you how to live your life. And it's all self-consuming, and it is a dangerous path to be on. And God knew that our hearts, even as followers of Christ, like you can go and read through the New Testament when Paul keeps going, guys, what are you doing? He writes these letters to the churches. You're living like unbelievers. And the reason why is our hearts get tugged in all these different directions. Yes, sometimes it's tugged tug toward God, amen. But there's these worldly influence that tug at our hearts. And God knew that we were gonna struggle in this, what we would think would be this simple thing about worshiping him. No, this is a very difficult thing for us. And John Calvin, the great theologian, says it like this, every human heart is an idol-making factory. Look at how many factories are in this one room. And the more people that are born into this world, as far as numbers continue to grow, the more we struggle with this, because there's more hearts out there making and producing these false idols because it is something that we struggle with. God warns us about this 2,000 years ago in Exodus 20. He says, you guys are going to struggle in this area. And John Calvin in the 1500s reminds us again about this, that our hearts, our hearts are idol-making factories. And so when this happens and we fall for these idols and we're pursuing, it's this path that's over here and this is that sinful path that we're on. God's path is over here and any time we choose our path over God's path, simply put, that is the sin in our life and we are pursuing the wrong things and we are worshiping the wrong things but it only doesn't affect us. 
God is warning us again, and it's very clear here. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now, let me start with this. Moses made it very clear in Scripture that children were not punished because of their parents' sin. What God is saying here, 2,000 years ago, before we had all this research that we have today of studying family behaviors, is that bad habits in families are very likely, not a must, but are very likely to get passed down to our children. And this is a warning sign here that if mom and dad are not pursuing God and not putting Jesus and not putting God at the center of their life, it's most likely that their kids will not either. And it's a sad thing because our kids are watching us. And the reason why bad behaviors repeat over and over, and, and you can look at family research on this, is because they do what they're taught. And it's sad that we pass down some bad habits to our kids. And I've never really met anyone that didn't want this for their kids. And, and I'll say this, I want the best thing for my kids. And I know for you and parents, you want the best things for your kids as well. Here's the best thing that we can do for our kids is put Jesus at the center of our lives. And when we put Jesus at the center of our lives, we put Jesus at the center of our families. And when that happens and we obey his commands, one of his commands in Deuteronomy 6 for parents is talk to your kids. Talk to your kids about my word and my love for them. And see, when we start talking to our kids about God and who God is and what God can do for them, they're going to be looking at what are we modeling. Are we being hypocrites? Or when we talk to our kids about their relationship with God and how much God offers, is it authentic because Jesus is at the center of our lives? That's my hope. Because there is a great blessing that comes when we understand what God is communicating here, he does not end this command on a sad note. And that leads us to our last point. God pours out his love on those who choose to worship him. Understanding that God is not going to force us to worship him. He's going to allow us, if we want to go pursue false gods and make these false idols, he's going to be okay with I mean, he's not going to be okay, but he's going to allow us to follow that path. But what God wants for us is to choose to worship him. And when we choose to worship him, it says God pours out his love. And I love how this second commandment ends. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations, a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. That's the God we serve right there. That's, that's why he gives us these instructions. The Ten Commandments is, is not to show how bad we are. It will reveal some sin. That's okay. But it's, it's this. It's what God wants for all of his children. And he wants to lavish us with his unfailing love. And look at the result. Not to the third and fourth generation are punished because of some bad decisions their parents made and they passed on to their kids but look at the blessing. Thousands of generations are impacted when you put your 
Jesus and God at the center of your life and at the center of your worship. That is an amazing promise from God, and that is an amazing God we serve. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for who you are. And as we dig into your commandments, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. God, I do pray in this message that you would reveal to each and one of, every one of us, Lord, that the things that we shouldn't be worshiping, the things that consume our minds, the things that are unhealthy for us, Lord. God, I hope we receive your warning signs, Lord, and how you just speak that truth to us today. And I pray that our desire would be how you wrapped up this commandment, that we would choose to worship you, that we would desire in our hearts to obey your commands. God, we know that your commands are given to us through love. It's not to hoard over us or to keep us in bondage, but it's to give us these healthy boundaries, God. And only you know what those are. And we're grateful that we're not here trying to figure this out on our own, Lord, but your instruction is so clear that worship is isolated only for you. And I pray, not only today as we wrap up this service, but we just have this different perspective, Lord, of spending some time bowing down to you, the almighty, all-powerful, all-amazing God, bringing you honor, giving you respect, Lord. May that be a part of our daily life. But may we reflect that as we come together in our corporate worship and we sing these songs. God, I pray that you would just pierce in our hearts that unfailing love and that of gratitude of who you are. God, we would lift up our voices and we would truly bow down to you in worship because you are worthy of our worship. God, help us this week to live out this command, to worship you, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and it's in your name we pray. We're gonna close the service with one last song, and it's also the, this opportunity for us to, to come and remember God's unfailing love for us, and there's no better picture of God's unfailing love than what God, Jesus, did on the cross. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with somebody, and they were really struggling with just the simplicity of coming to faith. And I said, oh, let's stop right there. Let's, let's praise God. Let's praise God that he didn't make it complicated. And then I said, we're going to get to all the work because God did all the work for us, but let's praise God that it's not complicated to come to faith. And I said, it is easy to come to faith, but here's what it's not. It was not easy for Jesus When you read the gospel and you start reading what Jesus was about to do for us and you look at the anguish that was just coming over him for what it's going to mean to pay for the sins of the world, that was not easy. And then this sinless God in the flesh man is accused of something he did not do, but he received. He was sinless. He wasn't guilty. He should have been sent a free man. But that wasn't the plan. And so he picked up his cross and he was beaten, tortured. There was nothing easy 
about salvation. Because Jesus took all of the punishment and pain that we deserved. But there is no greater love story than the love story for Jesus. If you're here, you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus. I want you to focus on this next few minutes of what Jesus did for you on the cross. He gave us life for you. So in return, you could have life. And today we remember that. In a minute, we're going to come up while the worship team is leading us in a song. We're going to worship Jesus and we're going to remember his unfailing love. And it was his body that was beaten. He took the pain that we deserved. And we're going to dip it in that grape juice. And that grape juice represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out to cover your sins and to cover my sins. We're going to come together and we are going to remember when God put his love into action for all of humanity. And Jesus came and died for our sins so that in return we could receive life. We end our service today remembering that Jesus made it possible for us to be made right for God. It doesn't come from us. It only comes from Jesus who should be at the center of our lives. Let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we are an undeserving people, Lord. But we are so grateful for you. And today we worship you because you are worthy of our worship. Lord, forgive us for all of the wrongful doings, Lord, when we turn away from you and we run into the embrace of something else. But Lord, in this moment, in this time, we are going to worship you. We are going to focus on what you did for us. Words cannot explain it. Your unfailing love is so incredible. It's like no other love we experience. And we're grateful that you did not give up on us. But that you fulfilled your mission here on earth, making it possible for us to receive an eternal life, Lord. You did not allow anything to keep us separated from you, and we remember that. That your body was broken and that your blood was poured out for us. We remember you, Jesus, and we are grateful and thankful, and everything we have, we give to you. It's in your precious name we pray, amen.